Our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, beginning in verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. In 1959, Mother Teresa had been working among the poor in Calcutta for about 10 years. You may not know this about her, but she was plagued by spiritual dryness and doubt and a feeling that she had lost her intimacy with God. There was a brief reprieve in 1958, but she relapsed quickly into this doubt that would be with her for most of her life. And so her spiritual director told her to write a letter to Jesus, and this is how it begins. My own Jesus. In my soul, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. This kind of doubt, St. John of the Cross famously called the dark night of the soul. It might come as apathy or fear. It might come as loss of belief. However it comes, it makes its way to most of us at some point or another. For Teresa, and maybe for some of you, it's a way of life. 
When we engage truly with the Holy Spirit, we inevitably encounter doubt, and there are different kinds. Intellectual doubt might question historical or supernatural claims that Scripture makes. God became human. Christ rose from the dead. God exists. This kind of doubt can be scary, especially the first time it happens. We might wonder whether we really believe or whether we can believe. When I was a teenager, I was plagued by the idea that if I had met Jesus while he was on earth, if I had been alive at that time, I wouldn't believe. Because how could I? It seems crazy. And so I wondered, am I really a Christian? And sometimes I still wonder, are my beliefs and my opinions measuring up? Spiritual doubt, which I think is more similar to what Teresa experienced, is something different. There's sadness, there's fear, there's hopelessness. Teresa says there's this pain of longing, a pain of not being wanted. She writes, I want God with all the powers of my soul, and yet there between us, there's this terrible separation. I don't pray any longer. This kind of doubt is agonizing, not least because it's often accompanied by an inexpressible love for Jesus. Teresa says to Jesus, I'm afraid to write all these terrible things that pass in my soul because they must hurt you. We ask whether God really loves us whether God pays any attention to us, whether God really wants what's best for us. And we wonder how we are in the wrong, how our emotions or our love are not measuring up. There's a personality thing here. I'm a system maker, and so intellectual doubt is kind of invigorating for me. It can be unsettling, but I like to figure it out and to fit new things into my system. But spiritual doubt is my dark night of the soul. I want proof that I love Jesus. I want a response, a response that I can feel to the depth of my love. And I want to know that my love is not manufactured by guilt, but is true devotion. It feels like doubt. Maybe sometimes doubt for you is not being sure of something you want to believe or not being sure that you want to believe. Sometimes it's just a painful change in your relationship with God. It's hard to know why it happens or to articulate exactly what it is you're not sure about. But most times it is Jesus calling you to deeper trust, to deeper love, and to deeper knowledge. This kind of doubt, the kind that makes you long for something, is rooted in the search for truth. The last time we saw Thomas in John 11, the disciples were trying to convince Jesus not to go to Jerusalem and be killed. 
When Jesus refuses to turn back, he says, let's go with him and die with him. And recently I'm imagining exasperation in his voice. If he insists on being ridiculous, let's go and die with him. John 11's Thomas tells us that John 20's Thomas is not motivated by ambivalence toward Jesus. This Thomas was willing, no matter how ornery and skeptical he might have been, to follow Jesus until death. And today, Easter Day for Thomas, after this week of misery, he does not want fake Jesus. This is the kind of doubt that stems from love. It stems from the search for truth for the sake of one you love. This is doubt that seeks the gospel. Fake Jesus is not good news. And the Jesus Thomas touched is the Jesus he loved, and that's the Jesus he wanted back. Maybe you are struggling to believe in any of the Easter that we're celebrating. Maybe you wonder how God could allow what God has allowed in your life or in the life of someone you love. Maybe you're at the end of your rope with church. Maybe you can't handle one more encounter with fake Jesus. Remember with me the Jesus that you want. The Jesus, maybe, that you want back. Jesus did not demand that Thomas believe without seeing. Jesus gave Thomas what he needed to believe. He took Thomas's hand and put it in his wounds. When Mary didn't recognize him at the tomb, he didn't scold her, but he spoke her name, her own name, a name that he knew that was as familiar to him as his was to her. After Peter denied Jesus, he gave him three chances to rehabilitate himself. And that question that he asked Peter is the same one that he asks all of us in our moments of doubt. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Thomas wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared to the assembled disciples, and we don't know why. Maybe he was too upset, too lost, too confused to get together with them and talk. We tend to think of Thomas as the rebuked unbeliever, and he is that. But he's not unfaithful. I don't think it's too strong a statement to say that all of us will experience doubt. None of us will escape that. So Thomas was absent at that first meeting for us. Like Thomas, we might find Easter too incredible. We might be too hurt from disillusioned love. We might be like Peter and like Teresa, ashamed for the hurt that we've caused Jesus. We might be too afraid to look him in the eye and be recognized. Last night, I was out with friends in Princeton, and we were winding down from a long day of writing. We're in the thick of finals. 
because seminarians will be seminarians, we started talking about how we know that we're Christians. This arose from an article that one of us read. What beliefs we need to affirm. And I have to admit, I have just finished finals, and I was not in the mood to discuss this question. But this is the life I've chosen for myself. So my Lutheran friend brought up a classic Lutheran question, and here it is. Isn't belief one of those works of righteousness that we're not supposed to have to do anymore? If we are justified and made right with God by faith, isn't believing in God technically a work or an obligation that we have to fulfill to make God happy? That question might be too meta for you, and that's fine. But I thought about it this morning, and it seemed very important that I bring it to you. Whoever you are, if you need to hear this, your inability to check off every box of intellectual assent does not change God's love for you. It does not change Christ's death and resurrection for you. It does not change the Holy Spirit's prayer for you. Belief is not a gift that we give to God. It is a gift that God gives to us. And we won't always experience it. Just like we don't always feel the love of God, we don't always feel the faith that God has given us. But here is a central Presbyterian teaching. God does not drop people. Holding on is not your job. Faithfulness is just trying. If you're thinking you might just not believe anymore, I want you to at least try to keep hold of that. The one who called you is faithful. And Jesus was faithful on your behalf. And the Spirit will draw out what you will be. Jesuit ethicist John Cavanaugh spent time working in Calcutta while he was discerning his vocation. And he met Mother Teresa there, and she asked him, what do you want me to pray for you? And he said, clarity. I can resonate with that. That's what most of us want, I think. Certainty about the facts of the case, a clear-cut vision of the right thing to do, a voice from heaven to tell us that God is not angry, that God loves us. Teresa said, no. She said, I will pray that you have trust. Trust is not always clear on the details. Trust is clear on the one you love. Trust is when the one you love is the truth. Fyodor Dostoevsky once wrote to a friend, if someone could convince me that truth really did exclude Christ, I would prefer to stay with Christ. The mystics among us will find that easier to swallow than others. But the point is this. The one you believe is greater than the things you believe. Thomas followed this beloved Christ through life and to his death, and he did not want to be taken in by hysteria or lulled by ghostly spiritualism. I suspect that that is true of most of us today. 
Thomas wanted to find the real Christ. Christ was his truth. Christ was the alpha of his questions and the omega of his answers. Only Christ. It is God who gives and preserves your faith. Even when we wander, God keeps something alive in us and calls us back to it. From long ago, maybe, you know this Jesus. From deep within you, maybe, you want this Jesus back. Maybe you long for this Jesus you haven't met yet, someone you know must be because you're homesick for him. Don't let doubt hold you back from loving this Jesus. He is gentle and humble in heart. He is the crucified and resurrected one who wants each one of us to know him. The impulse to turn, even the inkling of a desire to want to turn, comes from God. No one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws them. And God does not begin something only to drop it. Don't worry that you won't be able to believe enough. Don't agonize over your doubt. Trust in Jesus. And when you can't trust in Jesus, follow even the smallest desire to trust him. Cling to it. Pray for it. And then wait. No one has ever prayed for faith in vain. Be confident that the one who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Our Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.